continuing our series on relationships, mothers, brothers, and others. And as we do that, continuing this week, talking about this idea. And, and I wanted to uh, get us thinking about just conversations and how uh, the way we interact with each other and the way we talk to each other uh, can lead to either a lot of frustration or resolution. And so that was just a funny example of how, man, so often, especially in the marriage relationship, but really in general relationships, uh, we do. We don't really listen to each other. We don't have a hard time trying not to fix it, all those kind of things. But I'll tell you this right now. If you have a, a wife with a nail in her head, you should just go ahead and get the claw hammer and just get that bad boy out, okay? Just do it quick like a Band-Aid. You'll be fine, okay? So if you have a Bible this morning, open up to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. You guys can go ahead and pull up these center lights here. If you would, that'd be great. I feel like I'm kind of in the dark. Well, I, I mean, often I'm in the dark, so... That's better. Matthew chapter 18. So before we get to the text uh, in Matthew 18 this morning, as we're continuing this idea of relationships and dealing with relationships, we want to talk this morning, and you do have a handout there uh, if you'd like to take notes, about repairing relationships. Repairing relationships. And this is not something that is just in the marriage relationship. I believe these principles can lead to uh, fixed relationships or encouraging fixed and repaired relationships at every level. And so We opened up last week talking about a simple but very difficult verse to apply. It's found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. We won't turn there for time's sake. But the idea of the verse says that if at all possible, as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. And we said last week it is extremely difficult to live peaceable with all men. Because what's the problem with having peace with another person? The other person, right? Like so often we feel like, man, if it wasn't for this person or that situation, everything would be fine. We tend to kind of put it off on someone else. Well, I said that, and I did agree that I, I do agree that I said that in that argument, but I only said that because you said this first. It's a way that we kind of deflect and we kind of defer and we want to not really take any blame in the relationship. So we always have this kind of misconception that if man, if everybody else was fixed, I would have no problems in relationships. This is kind of something we fall into. And so it's hard to think about how do I live peaceably with every person? I mean, is that even, I mean, it says if possible. So is it possible? We talked about that last week. Is it even possible? Last week we realized that we're designed for relationship. The very foundational truth we have to understand is that we are all designed for relationship by the creator. We were designed for relationship with him through salvation. And so I I encourage you again, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you need to receive him to have a relationship with him. Going to church isn't going to do it. Reading the Bible isn't going to do it. It's that personal acknowledgement that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and rose again on the third day for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you receive that truth by faith, The Bible says, not Pastor John, not North Goodland, not Baptist, not Methodist, not Lutheran. The Bible says you will be saved. And that salvation is not just the avoidance of hell. It's the abundance of heaven. It's it's everything that comes with the relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an intimate relationship with your creator, the Father God. It's the access to that God through prayer. It's the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit of God, that where you go, He goes with you. It's the ability to understand the Word of God. You ever talk to somebody that doesn't know Christ and you're trying to explain the Bible and they're looking at you kind of confused, like, what are you talking about? 
Man, it's the ability to pick up this book and to read its words. And then the very author of the book, the Holy Spirit himself, begins to take those words and apply them to your life. And you see life change and you see a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, it's not just, oh man, I can't wait to go to heaven when I die because I'm a Christian. Or it's not just, I don't have to go to hell. Those are truths that are part of salvation, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more than just not going to hell because you know Christ. It's, man, I get to spend eternity with my Father. I get to spend eternity starting, by the way, at the moment of salvation. You don't have to wait till you die to experience eternal life. You can have eternal life in all of its abundance right now. You might say, that's impossible. I can't have that here. The Bible says that when you know him and you have that relationship with him, he walks with you and he speaks with you. Yeah, we don't get to see him physically like we will in heaven, but man, we get to spend so much time with him. And we get to interact with him and he gets to work through us and in us. And see, this is the beauty of the relationship that God designed you for. That's why it's not just about, man, I'm saved, I'm not going to hell. Or I'm saved, I get to go to heaven. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we don't start there, then everything else is off track. Everything else is messed up. But once we do start there and we realize, I need that relationship, that constant connection to the Son. Now that I have that, now I can have a relationship with others that is healthy and productive. But if I start trying to fix this without focusing on this, this will never be fixed. You can't fix relationships with other people in your life or even work on those relationships if you're not first saying, God, would you work in me? Holy Spirit of God, would you reveal to me what I need to do? That's difficult. Man, it's hard to take ownership and responsibility. But God says, man, if you would do that and let me work in you, then I'll begin to work in other relationships that you're involved in. That's why I love the greatest commandments are what? Love the Lord your God with all of you. What does that really look like? It's just relationship. It's everything is his and, and I'm all of his and he's all of mine and I just love being with him. Then love your neighbor as yourself. Man, relationships can be difficult and challenging but I do believe it's possible to live peaceably with all men. And I believe that sometimes to live peaceably with all men means that sometimes you need to make a decision to sever relationship so that there's peace. See, living peaceably doesn't mean that we're all best friends all the time and you're best friends with everybody in the world and we all just get along all the time. That's not what it means to live peaceably. Sometimes there are going to be those in your life that you need to say, you know what? Be, so that there's peace <laughs> and no division and, and, and animosity and anger and fighting and all of this, we may just need to distance this relationship. That needs to happen at times in our lives. And people will say, well, when is that? What does that look like? How, what are the steps of that? I don't have the answers to that because I don't know what you're going through personally. Every individual situation is completely different. You need to say, God, give me wisdom in this. Is this a relationship that I need to foster? I need to nurture? I need to grow in? Or is this a relationship that I need to sever because it's an influence that's leading me away from you? I worked in youth ministry for long enough to know that it amazes me how quickly relationships, especially as teenagers, can either push people to Christ or pull them from Christ. It's, it's, it's amazing to me how that works. I've had students that wanted to be missionaries and on fire for the Lord and started dating a girl that didn't want anything to do with church. Give it a couple years and they're not even in church anymore. We had a student that, man, she just loved the Lord on fire. Everything was great. Started dating a guy that didn't want to go to church. And so he would conveniently come over to the house and hang out at her house with her parents there during church. 
And I'd say, why don't you, this is years ago, why don't you just invite him along? Well, he doesn't want to go, and we don't get to see each other a lot, so we're just going to hang out. That's where it started, and it just snowballed. But I've also seen where godly relationships can push people to Jesus Christ and encourage them in their walk with Christ to where it just sets this fire, and then it fans the flame of the fire for Christ, and all of a sudden you see God doing great things in that relationship. So sometimes you need to nurture, foster, and repair. Sometimes you need to say, you know what, this is not a relationship that I need to be a part of. And that's how we can live peaceably, by the Spirit of God leading, giving us wisdom. I do think sometimes in my life, I completely underestimate the Spirit's wisdom in my life. You ever, you ever experience this? I think I totally undervalue. I don't access the wisdom of the Spirit of God as much as I should. Because the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he gives to all men liberally. I think the problem is not God not giving us the wisdom. It's we're not asking. So we struggle in these relationships, and we're like, I'm just trying to figure it out. And the first thing I tend to do is, is think of myself and think, man, have I even asked God for his wisdom on this? Have I even sought him on this? Have I even prayed about this? And God, give me wisdom on this. If you have, man, it's not necessarily going to be this quick answer. It might take time. It might take time encouraging Christian wise counsel. Getting into the word of God and saying, God, what would you have me to do in this relationship? So some relationships we need to repair. Some, because of influence or the decisions the other person is making, we may need to say, you know what? I'm going to love them and I'll pray for them and I want to still be somewhat a part of their life. But you know what? Man, I'll use an example. If you used to be an alcoholic and you had friends that were alcoholics and you got to a point where God set you free from that addiction and you said, you know what, I don't want that anymore. But you still have the relationship with those friends that are currently alcoholics. Guess what? There needs to be a distance there. There needs to be some separation there. So that you can walk in what God has for you. You can love them. You can pray for them. You can encourage them to give it up and to speak in their lives. But guess what? You're not going to be their best friend. You're not going to be hanging out on Friday nights every week. Because you need to say, you know what, God, to guard my walk with you. I need to separate from that so that there's peace. That's kind of a very obvious example. But I hope you're getting the point of this. Some relationships we need to repair. Some we need to sever some we need a distance it's all to his wisdom what god is leading in your life but i do believe if you decide to begin repairing a relationship and to work into the relationship and see how can i live peaceably with all men and continue to nurture this relationship i believe there is a crucial element that must exist in our hearts and our minds and that is the element of forgiveness forgiveness jesus taught the apostle peter a valuable lesson that he applied to his life that we see later in his epistles in First and Second Peter, it plays out. But Jesus taught him a, a very valuable lesson about this area of, in this area of forgiveness that I believe that we can learn from today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Very familiar passage. One that maybe you've read before, you've studied out. But to me, it's the clearest teaching of this idea. And I want to kind of take some principles from this and from the rest of the Word of God. And let's walk through this issue of forgiveness. Because I truly believe that to repair relationships, there must be forgiveness. Verse 21 of Matthew 18. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Verse 22. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. I want to make a quick little observation, then we're going to pray. Verse 21, then Peter 
came to, uh, then came Peter to him and said, how, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It's kind of interesting what Peter's assumption is here. Peter doesn't say, how often, if I offend someone else, should I expect to be forgiven? How do I go and ask for forgiveness from someone else if I offend them? How do I, how do, I do that in my life? He automatically assumes you're the one that's going to offend him. You're the one that's going to sin against him. So he needs to know how many times I've got to forgive these imperfect, sinful people. I mean, really, Lord, I, I just, you know, it's so taxing to be so perfect all the time and have to forgive all of them. So how many times do I have to forgive them because I'm so godly? You kind of see how Peter's jumping that assumption there? And it's like, I can only imagine Jesus. Dude, do you realize in just a couple years what you're going to do? Just in a, in a year or two, you know what you're going to do? You're going to deny me three times in one night to a teenage girl because you're scared. And you're asking me, how often should you forgive them? If I was Jesus, I'd be like, how many times do you want me to forgive you? That's what I'd ask him. But I love Jesus. He just tackles this issue. And look what he says. He says, Jesus saith unto him, I say it unto thee seven times, but until seventy times seven. Let's pray. And I want to ask the Lord to speak to our individual situations wherever you are in your life. I want you to just open up to God and say, God, would you just show me wisdom, guidance, direction in how I need to apply this scripture and this message to my life today. So would you bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father. Lord, you know my heart and I desire to be a blessing. Father, you know that I've been a little distracted this morning. Had other things on my mind since uh, this day started. And I just pray that you would help me to stay focused on what you would have for these, your people. Give me a clarity and a wisdom. Help me to not get in the way of what you're going to do this morning. Because, Father, we need you. It's not my words or, or some pastor's opinion that is going to solve our problems or that's going to help heal our relationships. It's only the influx and the, 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 the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's going to actually change anything. But I'm so thankful because your Spirit is available and is working. Change is not only possible, it's achievable. It's, it's happening right now in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that as we talk about this issue of forgiveness, that you'd give us great wisdom. You'd help us to not think of others, but to think of ourselves. Think of our own relationship. How am I applying these things? Not thinking about anybody else and what they are or are not doing or how they are or are not applying these things. We don't want to be like Peter. We don't want to automatically assume it's everybody else's problem. We want to agree that, that we all need work. That we are lumps of clay that are being molded. And Father, me included, I, I'm so imperfect. I make mistakes. I've made mistakes. I'm so thankful for your forgiveness in my life. As I'm sure many here could testify, Lord, we all need you. We need your forgiveness. And so we pray that you'd help us to apply these things as you see fit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter was seeming religious when he said seven times. Uh, the, the Jewish tradition would have been three times to forgive someone. But Peter come and said, I'll do it seven times, Lord, because I'm so much like you. I'm so godly. I'll even more than double what the tradition says I should. Because I just, 
I'm just that good. But I love that Jesus pointed out that there is no limits to how many times we forgive. You see, some people go, well, we, we do the math and we figure it out, and that's how many times I've got to forgive somebody for the same offense. That's not Jesus' point. His point is, it doesn't matter how many times. We just keep forgiving, and we'll break down what that looks like and how does that really make sense. Jesus teaches an amazing story in the text to follow. We don't have time to read it, but I encourage you to read the rest of Matthew 18, and, and you see this beautiful story, this, this teaching about a king that forgave a servant for a great debt. Then that very same servant went out and would not forgive another servant for a much smaller debt. The king then, in great anger, punished the man for his debts. In essence, he rescinded his forgiveness and said, if you're not going to forgive him, then I'm not going to forgive you. Because he could not believe when forgiven such a great debt, somebody would not forgive another. Now, let me be clear on this. The point of the parable, and it's a story, is that this great king looked at this man who threw himself and said, beg for mercy and said, give me grace. The king says, okay, I'll forgive your debt in full. And then he goes out, and after being forgiven, say, like a $100 million debt, he goes out and he grabs a guy that owes him $20. And I'm just using rough numbers here just to kind of give you an understanding of illustration. $20, just forgiven a $100 million debt, but I'm going to go grab this guy that owes me 20 And that guy says, would you please show me grace, show me mercy. Man, I just don't have it right now. And the Bible says he grabs the guy by the throat, like just straight up Chuck Norris, boom, right against the wall. Says, you give me my money now or I'm throwing you in jail. Could you imagine if you're the king? You're the great leader. You're the one that just, and you're going, are you kidding me? Man, I just forgave you for all that, and you're going to go out and do that? Now, I want to encourage you with something. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, as we're going to get to in a moment here, you've been forgiven a great debt. You may not think your debt was so bad. You may think, oh, I wasn't that bad of a person. No, trust me, you were worse than what you thought you were. The Bible says you were, we were all wicked and destitute and in sin, and we owed for that debt our lives and our eternity in a place called hell. And Jesus Christ, by his great love, his grace and his mercy said, I'll go and die for them so that they can be forgiven and have eternal life. And when we go out into our daily lives and somebody offends us or hurts us and we withhold forgiveness, that's the parable that Jesus was using to point out how ridiculous that looks. Now let me be clear on something. I don't believe that Jesus is teaching here in this parable that as a Christian I will lose my salvation if I don't forgive you for an offense. I think what Jesus' point is, if you have been forgiven and you begin to understand that forgiveness and put it practice in your life, then you will be a forgiver. But let's be clear, all of us go through seasons where we just don't feel like forgiving. And we look back and we go, man, that was really stupid that I withheld forgiveness. And we go try to make it right. So I'm not, I don't want you to think, oh man, I didn't forgive so-and-so 15 years ago. And so I, I lost my salvation. God took away his forgiveness. No, no, no. It's a parable. He's just using a story to illustrate the ridiculous nature that if I'm forgiven of this great debt, how could I not forgive someone for a much smaller debt? But here's the problem. We don't see the smaller debt as smaller, do we? We don't see that when somebody hurts me, it's less than I hurt God. We don't see that. We think, well, I mean, yeah, I, I sinned, but it's not like what so-and-so did to me. 
And we think somehow that we should be more offended by somebody that sins against us than the holy, righteous, majestic, creator God is offended when we sin against him. And we don't understand. We will never understand the level of offense that God the Father took with our sin. We will never understand that because we are not holy and perfect, and he was, and we put our fist in, and we said, we don't care, we're going to do it anyway. And we broke his laws. And yet he sends his son to die on a cross for our sins. We can and should extend forgiveness to others because we have been forgiven a great debt by the great king. It sounds very difficult, but I want to walk through this practically. So in your notes, why? Number one, why should you forgive others? Why should you forgive others? We're just going to walk through this. Why should you forgive others? As we just explained, first and foremost, because God has forgiven you. Because God has forgiven you. When we understand what we have been forgiven for and of by God, it would radically change our view of forgiving others. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, Paul's words to the church. Instead, he says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a phrase in that verse that just really gets me every time I read it. It just blows me away every time I see it. I don't, man, I just, I just don't know about it. It just gets me every time. The Bible says this, forgiving one another just as, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. See that just as part? Man, that hits me every time. And I have to look at my life and say, man, have I forgiven this person just as God has forgiven me? I mean, the obvious answer is, well, no. (laughs) Not to the same level or extent because I can't understand that. But man, when I think about that just as, I realize that if he forgives fully, I must forgive fully. He doesn't remind me of the offense or the sin, but wants me to learn from it and move forward. Man, isn't it amazing? And I know I'm talking to like really good, perfect Christians, so you guys probably can't relate to this. But for me, as an imperfect sinner, isn't it amazing that when we do sin against God and we go in confession and repentance and we say, God, I'm so sorry for that. Would you please forgive me for that word or for that action or whatever it is? And we say, God, would you please? And it's almost the Holy Spirit just begins to kind of just comfort us. You guys know what I'm talking about? Can you relate to this at all? I mean, have you ever had to go through this? And all of a sudden, the Spirit begins to fill you with that peace and that calmness. And all of a sudden, it's almost as though, I mean, it's not audible, but it's almost as though he says, all right, now let's get going. Let's move on. I've heard the phrase before that people will come to an altar like this, and they'll, they'll lay here, or they'll, they'll kneel here, or they'll sit here, and they'll say, God, forgive me of this, and they'll leave it there, and then they'll get up. But they don't really leave it there. They'll come back, and they'll pick it up, and they'll walk out with it again. Man, when you go to him and you cry out to him and you say, God, would you please forgive me of this? He forgives you fully, instantly, completely. Now, the key is he wants you to learn from it. God is never okay with sin. God is never one that has ever condoned sin. And sometimes when we understand his forgiveness is so instant, pure, and true, we can tend to think, oh, God's cool with what I did. 
because he just forgave me anyway. Man, the Bible says that we do not sin, that grace may abound. God forbid. We don't ever think that. We go to him and say, God, I'm sorry for this. We learn from it, and we go on in repentance. Now, we've got to be careful. We don't go to either end of the spectrum here, and we start thinking, well, because he forgives me so easily in Christ, I can just do whatever I want. I truly believe that as the Spirit of God is working in you, you could not live that way for a long period of time without feeling great conviction. That if you've tried to live that way, well, I'll just do what I want. God forgives anyway. I believe there will be a point in your life where over time he will say, nope, and nope, and nope, and he'll begin to convict you. And only you know if that's happening or not. Man, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I don't know about you, but that hits me really hard. We need to forgive others because God has forgiven you. Secondly, why should I forgive others? Because simply resentment doesn't work. Resentment doesn't work. So often, unforgiveness does not affect the one you are refusing to forgive. It affects you, your health, and your wellness. I don't know if anybody in here can relate to this, but I've seen this in my own life. And you think you're really getting somebody by not forgiving them. And you know what it's really doing? It's just eating you up. And that resentment and that bitterness just builds and builds and builds. And they're out living their life. They could care less. You're not hurting them. You're not doing anything to them. It's you that you're imprisoning in that cell of unforgiveness. And resentment doesn't work. The resentment and bitterness does not solve anything. It only gives the enemy, your flesh, ammunition to hold you back and hinder what God has for you. Because here's the thing. Let's say you're holding unforgiveness in your heart and bitterness and resentment, and then six months goes by, and you're in a service like this, and God begins to call you to serve in a ministry, and God begins to call you to give or to do something in the church, and you start to feel like, man, God, I want to do that for you. And then your flesh goes, ding, wait a minute. You really think you can serve in that ministry? You've got all this resentment over here. You really think you can do that? Look at you. You're so bitter about this person, and that's ammunition that you've given your flesh, you've loaded up your flesh with that ammunition to use against you, and then you're sitting in a service like this and you go, you know what, never mind, God, I can't be used by you because look at all this in my life. Do you see the cycle that we fall into? And God is going, man, no, 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 just remove that bitterness. Just get that root of bitterness out of there and watch me use you. Cry out to me. I can forgive you of that instantly and use you in spite of you, the Bible says. Man, resentment doesn't work. This is not just a spiritual truth, but a physical one as well. Unforgiveness and bitterness will actually affect your physical well-being. Listen to an article from John Hopkins Medical on this issue of unforgiveness. Whether it's a simple spat with your spouse, this is a non-Christian medical article, whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or long-held resentment towards a family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news, the article goes on to say, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels, and sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness, health, connection as you age. Man, you want to be healthy and well and full and whole? It starts and ends with your forgiveness of others, according to this article. 
that, man, when you're holding that resentment in, it will affect your physical well-being. Some of you know this. I've heard people say, you ever hear somebody say this? Man, I just can't seem to get over this. I'm losing sleep over this. You ever hear that? I'll be honest. I've lost sleep over some stuff and some stress and some bitterness and unforgiveness. Anybody else been there? You ever lose sleep over unforgiveness? You can raise your hand. Yeah, look around. No, keep them up. Look around. You know why you need to do this and see this? Because we all struggle with unforgiveness. Man, we sit in church and we're supposed to think it's just supposed to come so natural. I'm just supposed to forgive everybody. What's the big deal? But man, real life happens and all of a sudden forgiveness gets really, really difficult. And we start losing sleep over it. It just rages inside of us. We just can't control it. We can't see that, man, if I would just let this go and forgive, man, what God could do and how God could set you free. Resentment is also extremely unhelpful. One author put it this way, and I love this. Resentment cannot change the past, the problem, or the person who hurt you. Resentment certainly doesn't make you feel better. Have you ever known anyone to say, I feel so much better being resentful? Of course not. Resentment just makes you sad and unhappy. Or at the worst, angry. Nobody's ever said, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm really mad at so-and-so and I feel awesome about it. It's beautiful. No. Man, resentment doesn't work. Holding that in and holding on to that will only destroy you and all God has for you. Why should I forgive others? Because God has forgiven me. Because resentment doesn't work. And number three, because you'll need forgiveness in the future. Let that one sink in for a moment. Because you'll need forgiveness in the future. To me, this one is huge and so true in our lives as we live in our relationships. Man, you want to have a healthy and happy marriage? Learn very early on. And if you've been married for a time, learn it today that forgiveness is one of the key foundational stones of a healthy and long-lasting marriage. Without forgiveness and with abundance of bitterness, your marriage is doomed. And even those that have lived in it for years understand the weight that it puts on your shoulders. Man, it's so consuming. But when we can learn to forgive because we need forgiveness at times. When we begin to think that way, that I can forgive them because I've been forgiven by God. Because resentment doesn't work and because I'll need to be forgiven of something in the future. It changes our thinking in our relationships. I'm always amazed at how someone's view of what is or is not forgivable changes when they need forgiveness of something themselves. Have you ever seen this in someone's relationship or maybe your relationship? Someone says, I could never forgive that. And then 10 years down the road, they have a family member, a friend, a loved one, themselves, that go through something similar. And they say, man, how could you not forgive them for that? It's amazing how God grows us. And I'm not standing here saying that I've got it all figured out or that I've had it all figured out. Man, I, I pray that we're all learning this together, that we all learn that, man, maybe I used to think something was so unforgivable. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, man, it's not the same thing, but, man, I need forgiveness of something that somebody once thought was unforgivable. And I'm so thankful that I've been forgiven of that. The story has been told about a man who went to John Wesley. John Wesley was a reformer in the 1500s who was key in bringing congregational worship into the church 
And he said this. This man came to John Wesley and said this. I can never forgive that person. Never. I could never forgive that person. Never. John Wesley replied with such a simple and, and profound response. He says, then I hope you never sin. Because we all need what we don't want to give. We all need what we don't want to give. The key here is don't burn the bridge that you need to walk across yourself one day. And see, now I want to stop for a second because here's the thing that happens when I'm in church, when I've been in church, when I was in chapel in college and I would hear things like this taught. Here's the things that run through our minds because we're just people. We think, that sounds so good, but you have no idea what I'm going through. That sounds great, but you don't understand what they did to me. That sounds great, but I'm really still mad about this. That sounds great, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. That sounds good, but you don't know how they've hurt me. That sounds fine, and I'm willing to forgive for some things, but man, they just have hurt me so much, I don't know if I can forgive anymore. These are the things that run through our minds, and it's okay to go to God and say, God, I want you to know this. I really want to forgive that person, but I don't know if I can. It's completely fine, and actually, God encourages you to wrestle with him. We just learned on Wednesday night talking about Jacob and the man that, that we believe is a God-man, a pre-incarnate Christ that was manifested to encounter Jacob. And they wrestled all night long. And I asked the class, do you really think that God needed a whole night to beat Jacob? Do you really think God was like, man, this guy's pretty strong. I just can't take him. I spoke stars into existence and formed man of the dust of the ground. But this Jacob, he can wrestle. Of course not. So why in the world would God wrestle with him all night long? Because he was teaching us something. He said, man, when, you're, when you want to get a hold of me, and you want to go round and around and around, let's do it. We'll go round and around and around, and I'll hold on to you, and you hold on to me, and we'll get to the end, and you'll be blessed. So here's my thing. When you get mad and angry and upset, and you don't know how to deal, you don't know how to forgive, stop trying to figure it out and just cry out to him and say, God, I want to be and to do and to live as you say, but I don't think it's possible. And watch God begin to speak if you will really listen. So why should we forgive others? Because you've been forgiven. Because resentment doesn't work and because you'll need forgiveness in the future. So how do you forgive others? Real quick, I want to go through just a couple more things. How? The actual practical how do I forgive others? The first thing we have to do is reveal your hurt. You reveal your hurt. First, we have to reveal this hurt to ourselves and to our Savior. We, we understand, we acknowledge that we were hurt. Listen, forgiveness never means it's okay. That's never what it means. So we reveal, listen, this hurt me. The word, the act, whatever, this hurt me. You have to acknowledge it yourself. I'm not crazy is what you're getting at here. I'm not nuts. That actually should hurt a human being. That hurt me. And so often, don't we feel like maybe it's just in my head. Maybe it's really not that big of a deal. And we almost talk ourselves out of acknowledging that sucked. That was wrong. You for doing it kind of suck for doing it. I mean, can we just be real and say, man, that, that hurts. Don't tell somebody they suck. That's not part of the process. But you can think it all you want, but just don't tell them. No, I'm just kidding. Man, we need to reveal the hurt to ourselves, but then don't just stop there. Because if you just reveal it to yourself and you don't include your Savior, you just dwell on it and you get nowhere. 
that leads to resentment and bitterness and anger. But when you reveal it to yourself, acknowledge you've been hurt, cry out to your Savior. Acknowledge to God, God, this really hurt me. God, would you bring healing into my life? So often we look for external healing first, and I don't believe it starts there. I think it starts between us and our Savior. We went through a crazy time in our church a few years ago. And I remember during that time, people kept saying, when the pastor resigned and stepped away and, and moved into different ministry, and people were saying, man, we need somebody to come in and heal our church. We need a new pastor that will come in and fix our church. These are the terminologies people were using. We need healing. We need somebody to come in and heal our church. And I remember sitting in different meetings and, and board meetings and just church meetings, and, and it was funny how God was working. And I remember looking at Pastor Keith after one of them, and I said, dude, does that just seem weird to you? Like, can really, no, and we, we kind of talked about it. Nobody was going to come in and fix the church because healing doesn't start without. It starts within, and it only starts with the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Now, external comes, there's a part of that process where obviously the other person is involved, but it doesn't start there. And so often we acknowledge it to ourselves, and then we go on load on the other person, and then we want them to fix everything, and we never engage the Holy Spirit who's the only one that can fix it. And we need to start with ourselves acknowledging it. Go to him and acknowledge it with him. We do not need, as we reveal this hurt, we do not need to tell everybody and anybody about the hurt. This is a temptation we face and something we might struggle with. Although we are tempted to tell everybody, we don't need to tell everybody to be healed of this forgiveness. I believe that leaning on someone, going to someone, having that person you can lean on, maybe it's even the person in some cases, that offended you. Maybe there's a marriage situation where you need to go lean on your spouse that, that said or did something, and you just go and they're the person you lean on after you've acknowledged it, gone to God, and now you come to them and you begin to work together on this, this, this issue. But we don't need 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 people involved in the process. That's why the Bible says, yes, a multitude of counselors, but I believe, man, there's times where you need to be very careful with who you involve in this process. There's great wisdom needed when you go to reveal your hurt to someone because, listen, you need to make sure that person's spiritually mature enough not to just run around and tell everybody because now they just know this about you. Then you need to go, once you know they're spiritually mature, man, ask them. Man, don't go to them and gossip. Say, man, would you help me with this? I just don't know what to do. You don't want someone that's going to just pat you on the back and say, man, you're so right. They're so wrong. Let's just get them. That's not what you want. You want someone that says, man, I'm so sorry you were hurt. How can I help you and this person come to restoration? You ever remember junior high? Some of you, that was longer ago than others. But remember junior high? And you got in a fight with a friend. What was the first thing your friends would do? Man, they'd get your back. Yeah, I know I hate them. They're so dumb. That's a guy talking. A girl would just write it in a letter and pass it to the girl. And she'd open it and they'd be like, yeah, I love that. What's up? Man, that's what we tend to do, right? We, get, we, we love our friends, and so we want to support them, and we think that means, oh, we're going to be with you against them. And man, that doesn't lead to restoration. It just leads to more division and bitterness and envy and strife and all these things. So be very, very careful. I'm not saying you don't reveal your hurt to someone that you trust spiritually, that is going to give you wise counsel, that is going to lean on you as you lean on them to help for restoration. Do that. All I'm saying is be very careful and wise in who you choose to go to. We need to reveal our hurt. As we're beginning this process of forgiveness, we reveal our hurt first to ourselves, then our Savior, and then someone's or someone we trust spiritually. Secondly, 
we continue this process by releasing the offender. And this is the toughest part because we feel like it's saying, it's okay, they hurt me. But if you don't release them, you'll never be free of it. If you don't release them, you'll never be free from it. This is not at all saying that it is okay to hurt someone, as we've already established. But releasing them is setting them free from your anger or desire to get even. Forgiveness happens every time we remember the offense or the offender. We choose to forgive instead of stewing or meditating on the offense. What did Peter ask? How many times do I offend my brother that sins against me? Guess what? It was one brother with the same offense, according to the text. How many times? He says 70 times 7. Now, again, we're not counting and figuring it out. I won't ask any Brown City graduates to figure out that math, but it's a high number. Okay, let's just go with that. It's kind of funny. We were in a board meeting Thursday night, and we were going through some stuff, and some math was wrong. And so we all busted out of the calculator, sort of going at it, you know, getting down on the math. And uh, I look across the room, and I'm like, wow, there's way too many Brown City graduates in this room for me to be, you know, excited about the outcome of this project. Like, I mean, I don't know. I think, like, and then we actually ended up with, like, three different numbers, and we were like, oh, what's going on here? This is crazy. Anyway, um, it wasn't about trying to figure out the specific number. And it's not like you go home like, oh, well, Brother Jim got me again. That's 367 times. So, I mean, he's only, he's under 100. He's almost to 100 now, and then he's going to be done. I mean, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, listen, man, when somebody offends you, you need to release them. And so listen to what people say. Well, well, how often do I do that? Or what does that look like? You never forget a hurt. This is real right now. You never forget a hurt. Some of you were hurt as a child, and it's still there. You, may, you don't have anger or bitterness, or you're not mad at the person. You've released them. You've forgiven them. But it's still there. That scar still exists. And guess what? That's real life stuff that happens. But releasing the offender is saying, every time I think of the offense, I forgive them again. And I forgive them again, and I forgive them again. So what do you do if you can't forgive them face-to-face? Some people you can go to and you have a conversation with. Some people, it's not healthy to do that. Some people, it's not good. Again, we talked about this. You've already severed that relationship, so it's not good to go and relive that because it's not the healthy choice, not the wise choice to go and reconnect with that person because it's just not safe or it's not a good idea, whatever that looks like. Some of you know what I'm talking about if you've gone through something like this. So what do you do then? How do you forgive that person? How do you release them? Well, I was reading through a book, and it kind of pointed out a couple ideas, and I wanted to share those with you. I thought were really good. Two things. The empty chair method. The empty chair method. Some of you have used these things before. The empty chair method, and the write a letter that you never mail. Okay, for now, it'd be, this book was written a few years ago before, like, texting and stuff probably, but it's, it'd be an email, okay, whatever, all you millennials, you can start the, the, the text and just not send it, okay, whatever. Um, but for anybody that actually has paper and pen at their house, they actually write letters, you could do this, okay? Empty chair method. This is where you speak as if the person is there. You sit down with them and you put a chair across from you and you just unload on that chair like it's them. You, exp- you express your hurt. You express what it did, how it made you feel. You talk about that you've gone to God about this, and you understand that you need to forgive them. And then you say to the chair, I release you. I forgive you for that offense. Sounds kind of silly, but I'm telling you, it helps. It helps. It makes a big difference. The writing a letter that you never intended to mail or never will mail, you write out how you have been hurt and unload, stating that you are forgiving them today. Date the letter 
write it out, fold it up, put it in your sock drawer, put it somewhere, and every single time you're reminded by your flesh of that offense, go to that drawer, open it up, read it, and go, nope, I've already forgiven them. Nope, I've already let that go. I've already released them. And you put it back in the drawer. You are forgiving because resentment doesn't work. You have been forgiven by God, and you will need forgiveness in the future. That's the core drive of why you're forgiving them. It's not saying it's okay. It's saying, I agree, I need to forgive. Lastly, how do I forgive others? You replace your hurt with God's peace. You replace your hurt with God's peace. This is tough because it seems so unfair. If I forgive a person who didn't ask, if I forgive a person who I didn't get to confront, they get off the hook with no consequences. They just get to walk free. I believe we can have peace in the midst of this mental battle because God is the ultimate judge and will decide any and all judgments that are required to be paid or consequences to be dealt out for our offenses. Paul addressed this very issue in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, while speaking about judging each other. Listen to what Paul says to the Roman church. We will all stand before the tribunal of God, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We can leave it in God's hands, is the point of Paul's writings here. Listen, some of you have been hurt so bad by someone, and it is not okay, and God is not okay with it. But man, if you continue to live in that bitterness and resentment because of that hurt, you're only robbing yourself of the life that you can now have. I plead with you. I want to encourage you. Let that person go. Release the offender. Forgive. If you can do it face-to-face and it's healthy and safe, I encourage that. Maybe you can't, so you do the empty chair. You do the write-a-letter method, whatever it is. And then you say, God, I want this hurt that was once so consuming to be replaced with your peace and your presence in my life. And you begin to seek after that. These aren't just conceptual things we're talking about or or spiritualisms that we can kind of just meditate on. This is true stuff that actually affects our daily living. And as we live in his peace, every time the enemy or your flesh wants to say, yeah, but they're just getting away with it. Yeah, but they're they're not getting anything for it. You just remind yourself, you know what? I'm so thankful that God is the judge and I'm not. You see, God knows exactly what consequences are appropriate and fair, and we don't. And so why would we try to be the judge that God says he clearly is and just leave it in his hands? And if someone has hurt you or offended you, I am so sorry. God's heart breaks for you. But don't let that person or persons continue to hurt you over and over again every time you relive the hurts. It's going to take time. It's going to take time and effort and work of the Holy Spirit. But you can, because you've been forgiven, forgive someone else. And let me just tell you right now, if you're struggling in this, welcome to the club. If you're having a hard time releasing that person, welcome to the club. And here's the thing. You may release somebody today and two weeks from now get hit again and go, oh, I can't forgive. Because that's just how it is. I'm just telling you. But man, we need to pray, God, give me consistency in this. The greatest example of Christ's love for the world is when they see us forgiving each other. 
Man, it's kind of hard to say God will forgive you for all your sins when they come into a church or churches in our country and they see all this unforgiveness, right? Do you ever think about that? Our entire message, the entire crux of our message is simply this. God loves you so much he wants to forgive you of our sins. And our church wants to let you know that. And they go into churches all across America and they see people fighting and bitter and angry and resentful. And they go, wow, this is great. Maybe this isn't really what they said it was. It's going to seem unfair. It's not going to seem like what it should be. But I'm telling you, stop trying to get even and just leave it in God's hands. Let his peace rule and reign in your hearts and continue forward living for him and with him. I wanted to make it very clear that forgiveness does not mean you will allow that person influence or control in your life. Just because I forgive someone doesn't mean I'm going to allow them influence back into my life if it's not healthy in my walk with Christ to do so. You can forgive again and be distanced there. There are people who have hurt us and continue to live or behave in a way that would bring harm to us spiritually or physically. We can and should forgive them, but we do not have to spend time with them or even reach out to them unless it is good and healthy for us to do so. Some of you were hurt many years ago and the person has passed. They've gone on. Man, how in the world do you deal with that? You can and should still forgive them. Allow that to be done away with and just move on. Who do you need to forgive and why are you holding back? I want you to fill in that bottom of your handout. Who do you need to forgive? Why are you holding back forgiveness? Forgiveness does not mean that there are no consequences. I've always used the illustration. In our country, it's illegal to drive under the influence. And if somebody was driving while intoxicated, ran a stop sign, and hit the car that my wife was driving and killed her instantly, that person's going to jail. Our, our criminal justice system demands that they pay a penalty for that crime. I can 100% go to that courtroom, look that person in the eyes, and I pray that I would and say, I forgive you, and I release you. But guess what? The person will still have a consequence for their choices. See, forgiveness is not the avoidance of consequences either. You know this true in your own spiritual life. If we sin this side of heaven, we know it's forgiven, it's already been forgiven, and we're reminded it's forgiven, but guess what? That sin may carry a consequence that we have to live with this side of heaven. This is just the natural order of things. And so when we forgive someone, it's not saying it's okay. It's not saying there's not going to be consequences. But the key is you don't have to worry about controlling the consequence. You just leave it in God's hands and let him work it out. So I really want to encourage you this morning. We're going to pray and have an invitation. And all I want is this. We're going to stand, and I just want you to respond. And if there's anybody that you're having a hard time forgiving, somebody that you're being led to forgive, but you're just being real and honest with God and saying, God, I want to, but I just can't. God, I want to, but the hurt's too deep. God, I want to, but I just don't think it's possible. Then maybe you would come and say, God, all I'm asking is would you just work in my life? Show me that it is possible. Give me the strength and the boldness to forgive. Maybe you're here this morning and you're battling with this idea of repairing relationships versus nurturing relationships, or do I sever it? Do I cut it off? Maybe you need to come and say, God, would you give me wisdom in that? The relationships I need to kind of nurture and the ones that I need to distance. Give me wisdom in that. Whatever God is doing. And if you need to forgive someone and you want to, 
then maybe you'd come and bow a knee and say, God, I, I release them. I release them. And then when you get home today and your flesh wants to remind you of it and say, you didn't really forgive them, you're still upset about it, you say, nope, I released them. And tomorrow, I release them. And on Tuesday, I release them. And on Thursday, I release them. And you keep reminding yourself, God, I've forgiven them. God, I've forgiven them. And you'll find over time your health, your wellness, your spiritual well-being will improve. And all of a sudden, you think about them. You don't think resentment. You think, God, I'm just praying for them that you do a great work in their life. I'm saying all of that as someone that's been on both sides of that coin, by the way. I'm saying that as somebody that has needed forgiveness so badly from God and from others, and I'm saying that as somebody that's had to, in spite of wanting to, forgive someone. It's not easy. But I'm telling you from the Word of God and from experience, it's possible. Because he says, as much as lies in you, what is in you? And you have the Holy Spirit of God through Christ Jesus. So is it possible for the Holy Spirit to forgive that person? So then it's possible for you to forgive them. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer. And I'm just going to ask as you bow your heads there, I just really want you to respond to him. I want you to just be moved into whatever he's leading you to do. So as we have this time of invitation, as the band comes and we prepare to respond and reflect over what we've heard today. I pray that you, right there where you are in your seat, that if the Spirit of God is speaking to you in any way, that you wouldn't quench or hinder his moving, but you would allow him to lead you and to guide you, to give you wisdom, Pray that we would be a Christ-like example as much as possible. And I know we dropped the ball. I know we missed the mark because we're not perfect. But I just pray that we keep getting up in his strength and allow him to lead, guide, and direct. Father, would you just take this time this morning. If there's anyone here, Father, that is battling in this area of forgiveness, they've been hurt and offended, and it was just to feel hurt. Father, I pray that you'd help them to know that your heart breaks with them. That every tear they've cried, they've not cried it alone. That you are there with them. And I pray that by your spirit and by your grace, only equipping us to do what we need to do, that we would forgive those that have hurt us, that have offended us that we wouldn't hold or harbor that bitterness in our lives, but we'd release those individuals because we ourselves have been forgiven. May we understand that forgiveness doesn't mean it's okay. May we understand that forgiveness does not mean there may not be consequences for the choices. May we understand that sometimes we need to sever relationships so that there can be peace. Not in an arrogance on our part, but in a desire to walk and live with you and to have wisdom in who we allow into our influence of our lives. May you be glorified in all these things. Thank you for your forgiveness of our sins. 
we could never express through song or through word the beauty and the power of your forgiveness. I pray that you would be glorified. Father, help us in this. We need your strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. As you stand to your feet this morning, here's what I want to ask you. Just simple response. Do you need to forgive someone this morning? Do you need to let that go? Maybe you did it before and it's still hanging around. Maybe you want to come and pray. And here's the thing too. Maybe you want to come and pray about something altogether different. Don't be held back because you're sitting there thinking, but if I go forward, they'll know that I have unforgiveness in my heart. If I go forward, they know I have bitterness in my heart. And I don't want people to think that about me. We all just raised our hand a few moments ago and said we all struggle. Don't let the enemy trick you into thinking that you need to stay in your seats if you feel led to come and pray. You come and pray if he's leading you to. Forgive. Let it go. Move on and watch God do great things. And so however God is responding or speaking to you, would you respond as we call out to him?